You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between a fit body and positive mental health. And our big mission, it's to help 10,000 runners to develop fitter minds in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast. Today we talk to Pat Farmer. He is an Australian ultra running legend. He's done some amazing runs across the world, including running from the North to the South Pole. He details many of these runs in this call, plus shares some amazing running wisdom with us. Enjoy. Today on Fit Mind, Fit Body, I am over the moon excited, which I'm feeling a little bit like, um, you know, when you're talking to someone that um, that is a bit of a star, <laughs> you're going to be, oh, so I'm a bit nervous actually to speak to Mr. Pat Farmer. Welcome to Fit Mind, Fit Body. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. It's great. It's great to be here and it's great to have the opportunity to speak with you, especially on this program where my running is all about your mental attitude uh, more so than your physical ability. In fact, if you get your mind right, the body will follow. Oh, I love that. That's a great quote. You should have that out on, you know, with your face and then, you know, that quote there. That'd be You can fun. use that. <laughs> oh, thanks. I might do that, actually. All right. So, Pat, for those of, you know, the people who listen to this from the other side of the world, they may not have heard of Pat Farmer. Tell us a little bit about you. So where did, where did you grow up? for a start? Oh, well, look, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney, so um, uh, just just a, a regular suburban kid, um, not too far from Sydney, Sydney City, about 35 kilometres away from there. Uh, and I was working as a motor mechanic one day when the Sydney to Melbourne race, a very famous race that we had here in Australia, ran past where I worked. And my boss called me out from underneath the car and told me to have a look at these guys. And when I did, I saw all this fanfare. There was uh, kids with balloons uh, clapping and cheering from the schools across the road. There was police sirens going off and police escorts. There was uh, lots of fanfare around these runners as they raced on by in what was then the most famous ultra marathon in Australia and certainly the Southern Hemisphere. And one that attracted runners from all over the globe, as far away as Russia, in fact. Uh, and the thing that inspired me the most about all of that was the age of the runners. Uh, in particular, the fellow that went on to win the first Sydney to Melbourne race, and that was Cliff Young. Uh, Cliffy, I believe, was about 63 years old when he won it. Uh, and I couldn't believe that anyone that age could run 1,000 kilometres. Uh, for a young apprentice motor mechanic at the age of 18, uh, most kids or most uh, teenagers feel that that's way over the hill and that most elderly people are struggling to walk, let alone run. Uh, and so um, this guy proved, proved me wrong and everybody else wrong. And he was just such a phenomenal person, an ordinary down-to-earth mm -hmm. person, um, and I think that's why he was such a great inspiration to so many people, myself included, was because when you see great Olympians do great things or great uh, athletes do incredible things, 
you just naturally expect that and you think it's part of their pedigree and it comes from years and years and years yeah. of uh, training. But when you looked at Cliff Young, this elderly man who was taking on this journey against some of the best runners in, in Australia at that point in time and later on in the world, it made you realize that if he made me realize if he could do that, then maybe I could as well. And so that was the springboard that got me involved in running. And then from there, it was a very difficult trip, uh, uh, learning everything about food, nutrition, how to train, what to do. I basically went from the couch to 100 kilometers an hour, you know, in no time, you know, I, I so. So from, from nothing to a racing car driver straight away, you know, basically. So, uh, um, and I learned the hard way. I crashed quite a few times along the way. I imagine. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, was Cliff in gumboots at that time when you saw him? No, that was a bit of a myth. What happened with Cliffy was Cliff uh, was on, um, he had a hundred acre property down in Victoria at Co in yeah. Colac. And he used to uh, chase the cattle around on his hundred acre property. Uh, and he was wearing gumboots when he was uh, chasing the cattle around and rounding them up and all the rest of it because it's quite muddy down there. They get a lot of rainfall. And uh, mm. so naturally, gumboots are the, the attire of the day. And so the film crews went out to film him and he said, this is all part of my training. This is what I, I do. And so that's where the whole thing Gumboot. came from, <laughs> of Cliffy running in gumboots. But I did see him wearing uh, some genuine, decent running shoes in many of the races that we've competed in. That's funny. So how do you go from, as you said, an 18-year-old mechanic under a car? What are they, what are, like, did you go find a coach? Did you, did you join a, you know, find a running group? I, I imagine back then things were not, because you're not 18 anymore. Uh, not <laughs> yes, like true, me. Very true. Thank you so much. <laughs> But very true. Now, um, so what happened was, yeah, I couldn't find a coach. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a clue. I spoke to my eldest brother, who was the athlete of the family because he had uh, played football. Mm. Uh, and uh, he basically told me just to go down the football field and run laps. And that's basically what I did. So I ran laps. I used to run to work with a backpack on and I would put bricks in the backpack. I don't recommend this to anybody, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> used to put bricks in the backpack so it made it a little bit harder for me and I thought that I was you know I was invincible you know what you're like when you're young you think you can do anything um I, I they had qualifiers for that race in those days so they had a uh, um 24-hour track races and 48-hour track races and of course distance runs that were around about 210 or 250 kilometers so with the track races, you had to do a minimum of 160 kilometers in 24 hours in order to qualify for that race. Okay. And back then that was, that was tough going. These days, many people run uh, up to 200 kilometers in 24 hours or are capable of mm. that. Most people are capable of it, even though they don't know that they are. <laughs> and, and so, and so consequently, uh, so consequently I went in my first race uh, very ill prepared. I was sick as could be. Uh, I, I vomited all over the track. I didn't know what to eat, what to drink. I survived on Coca-Cola and hamburgers. I soon learned uh, after that event what poor nutrition was all about. Uh, and then um, 
uh, I learned so much more from my mistakes more than my successes. But the, the important thing about that and where I am now was determination has got me everywhere because even in that run, the gun went off at um, the gun went off at 10 a.m. in the morning on the Saturday mm -hmm. and concluded at 10 a.m. the next morning. Mm -hmm. uh, I ran 24 hours, uh, ran 125 kilometers in 24 hours, and had never run a fun run before that time. <laughs> so, so even though at the end of the race I had an intravenous in my arms from St. John's Ambulance. I was on a stretcher and I was uh, badly dehydrated and an absolute mess. Mm -hmm. um, I finished what I'd started. And mm -hmm. later on in life, when I got to compete in the same races as my hero then, Cliff Young, uh, he told me, he said, Pat, in order to win a race, you have to finish a race. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the most important thing because so many people go into an event with their reputation and they feel like, uh, you know, they're well prepared, they've trained incredibly well, they may have a name, they, uh, you know, they may be quite successful. And then anybody that's got experience will tell you, it doesn't matter what the race is, there comes a point in every single race where the wheels fall off and you don't feel so crash hot or you're in the lead and you're feeling the pressure of everybody else breathing down your neck. Uh, and you start to doubt yourself. Hmm. It's at those moments where it's so easy for the elite runners just to say, I've got an injury, I'm going to pull out, and I'll, yeah. I'll have a, another crack at the next race when everything's going well. Mm -hmm. But uh, a true champion will run through those moments, and it doesn't matter whether they finish in first place or last place, they work on finishing every single thing that they start. And in doing so, they learn they learn the lessons from those events. Mm. Like picture this, imagine if you were doing a marathon and you got to the 30, 32, 35 kilometer mark. Uh, and as I said, the wheels fell off, you felt terrible, you felt dehydrated, you started uh, having all sorts of problems, uh, feeling every ache and pain, some cramping, et cetera, et cetera. And you quit at that point in time. Yeah. The next race that you go into, it's so easy to quit at the same point when the same thing happens again and the same thing again and again and again. But if you manage to even walk the last bit and finish that through, then you can look back at it and you can go, right, I pushed myself through it. So mentally, I know I can do it. Mm. Now, physically, I need to find out what went wrong. Was it poor nutrition? Was it not enough uh, hydration? Was it, um, you know what was a lack of training what were the problems and you go back you analyze that and you can improve on it but if you don't complete what you've started you you rarely ever improve it's a bit analogous for life really isn't it certainly you know, when you and that's why get uncomfortable exactly and that's why most runners most uh most endurance athletes running cycling kayaking doesn't matter swimming they're in their older years because life knocks you down and you have to pick yourself up again and it knocks you down and you pick yourself up again and you battle through all of these problems in life. And in doing so, you're building resilience and stamina mm -hmm. and strength of mind. And that's what gets you through these things, these toughest mm -hmm. of events. And that's why you see the, the, the younger athletes up to their 20s and say 25 are great at the shorter distance mm -hmm. events. Um, and then as you move on from there, it takes a lot more character and determination with the longer distance events. To sort of stick to it.
I sometimes think you won't be able to speak to this particularly, but having a, having had um, children, <laughs> I think it toughens up women a little bit sometimes as well. Well, but probably, uh, Michelle, great point. And I think that's another reason why uh, women are so highly competitive in the ultra scene. Um, uh, women can match with the men. In fact, the last event that I organised, which I competed in as well, 1,000 miles to light, was a 1,000 uh, mile running race uh, that was a, a relay. It had two female and two males on each team. It was Australia versus America. And the Australian team, I'm proud to say, beat the Americans by 36 hours over the 10 days. Aussie, Aussie, uh, Aussie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but the most important thing about that was it was really the women's league that that saved the saved the day for you know for both teams really mm. because they they're just so determined and mm. so strong. Uh, women will run at a a, 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 a pace and Consistent. stick with it all the way through. They're very, very, very consistent, whereas mm. the men will be off and up and down like a yo-yo. Mm, that's an interesting. I always just thought it was because, you know, we put up with <laughs> childbirth and yeah. therefore we're kind of this, have, um, you know, gone through that strong, it had, had to be strong to go through that process. Well, uh, you definitely have a higher uh, pain threshold, that's for sure. Women definitely do. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to take that. I'm going to tell my husband. Um, <laughs> when you were a kid at school, were you very sporty? No, I played uh, um, for your international listeners, uh, rugby league, and which we call football over here. Rugby league, I played a little bit of soccer, which is a real football, uh, and I played cricket, which is an uh, English game, which we've adopted here in Australia. Nothing to do with uh, and, um, <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, I was ordinary at all of those sports. I was the guy that cut the oranges up into quarters and took them on to the other players at halftime, uh, I was the one that sort of sat on the bench most of the time. I didn't realise until later on in life that, uh, you know, I'm better suited to more the solo sports, I suppose, than the, um, than the team sports. I'm, um, I'm a bit of a loner, I suppose, but, I, but I'm also, I like to get inside my head and inside my mind and I like to, you know, I like mind games. I like to look at strategies and, strategies and philosophies and things like that you know and so you know I was I'm better suited to a more strategic outcome in an event than I am one that just relies on you know knocking a ball over a net bringing it back over the other side knocking mm. it backwards and forwards and uh, and you know I'm on the Australian Sports Commission board as a as a um, as a, a chairperson on there so I have greatest respect for all sports people, whether it be um, indoor climbing through all the way through to skateboarding, mm. surfing, netball, football, baseball, you name it. But um, I'm just speaking for myself and uh, I was ordinary at school uh, at all of those sports and something just clicked inside of me uh, when, when I saw Cliff Young and I took up ultra running and um, you know, the rest is history. Well, did you stop being a mechanic? <laughs> Uh, yes, I did. I, 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 well, I finished my uh, apprenticeship. I got that done because my, my father insisted that I had oh. to have something to fall back on. But I have to tell you, it's the running that's given me the opportunity to travel the world. Uh, and in doing so, you know, I've raced uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, Palestine, 
I've run uh, Lebanon, by the way, is one of the most beautiful places, especially the mountains of Lebanon. Here in Australia, you only hear the bad side of things. Uh, yeah. You know a lot about the problems yes. in the Middle East, but the Middle East is a beautiful place, especially, mm. and the people are kind as can be and mm. got a heart of gold. Um, I've run the length of Vietnam, once again, incredibly beautiful and, and kind people I love there. Vietnam. Mm. Um, I ran the length of Vietnam to raise money for clean water projects mm. and clean sanitary conditions over there for the, for the International Red Cross. Mm. I've run around Australia, across Australia, um, multiple places throughout New Zealand. I've run China, Hong Kong, uh, Japan, um, the length of the United States, uh, um, North America, South America, Central America, and of course, um, from the North Pole through to Canada and, and the edge of the ice um, uh, after you leave Ushuaia uh, through to Ushuaia in South America, in Argentina, through to, um, uh, through to from the edge of the ice there and the South Pole all the way through to the South Pole itself. So, uh, and, and oh, and the length of India as well. I did that for girls' education. So from Kenya Kamari to Kashmir. So from sea level basically right up wow. into the right up into the Nepalese mountains or close to the Nepalese mountains uh, you know and um, met some incredible people along the way had an amazing life seen some incredible things uh, and through all of this uh, it's been a result of the running and uh, you know and so I can't encourage people enough mm. to follow their dreams. So obviously when you were a mechanic and you suddenly saw Cliff Young and, and, and got inspired to start running. You, you would never have pictured what you've done since in you know, the preceding 30 odd years. Um, is it, what do you think drives you forward? Is it, because there's a lot of races in there, a lot of events. So are you very focused on competing or has that changed through the seasons of your life? You know, the um, competing versus, because you obviously are very, um, socially driven as well because you've done a lot of races that raise money or awareness for causes yeah i i suppose i'm more um an adventurer than anything mm. so i you know i've also i climbed matterhorn mountain i've climbed many mountains in new zealand and different things like that so uh, um uh, and i mean literally climb them with crampons and ropes mm. and ice picks and all the rest of it and that sort of stuff so so it's the adventure that drives me i mm. you know the Beating somebody in a race or or whatever, it's just, it's nice to compete in races with other people and to bring out the best in yourself. But Giannis Kuras, one of the greatest ultramarathons on the face of the planet, uh, ultramarathon runners, Giannis told me a long time ago, he said, Pat, you know, I always compete against myself because in running, it's not like, say, a boxing match where if somebody's upsetting you enough, you punch them in the nose enough times they'll fall down and that's the job's done. In running, you feel like you've been punched in the nose a million times, but you have got nobody to blame but yourself. And so you just have to endure with that and push on through it. Mm. And a lot of the time you feel like slowing down or stopping or just giving up, but it's yourself and your will that pushes you on. So all the time, you're really only competing against yourself. And a great runner, even a great race runner, mm -hmm. will analyse their competition, look at the sorts of times that they're going to run, plan their race around that, and get out there and run to plan every single time. And, and that is unnerving because in a race, 
so often people will go out incredibly fast at the start and yeah. you start to doubt yourself. You think to yourself, maybe I should be going with them. How, you know, that if they get too far ahead, I'll never catch them. What are we going to do and all the rest of it? But the results don't lie and the statistics don't lie. So you look at the results, you analyze the results and the statistics and you think to yourself, how many people finish within this window of time yeah. in this race? And am I capable of that? And you're trained to suit that. And then you say to yourself, I'm going to run to that. And if I do, I should finish in the top three or the top five, or I could possibly win it. But, but if you don't stick to the plan, then you'll blow your race at the start very easily because you start to worry about everyone else and you run to their plan. And then when the wheels fall off for them, and they're sitting in the gutter, you're in no man's land because you've gone too fast. You haven't taken in enough, enough fluids and enough nutrition along the way and you've blown your own race. So it's mind most game. important to have that self-confidence, yes. Mm. That mind game, isn't it? Like to, Because it, that takes a lot of um, strength, I think, of mind to be able yeah. to stay when, when all the world is, and again, it's very analogous of life when, when all the crazy things are happening around you, whether it's, you know, people running faster than they're supposed to or, yeah. or something else, or you trip over a bollard or something who hasn't had that kind of stuff happen in an event um, that can, and you allow it to throw your, your game. Um, that's pretty. You know, I, I've, I've been bumped in the back by support vehicles. Oh. <laughs> I've been hit. I've been had beer bottles thrown at me from a, a long distance when I was running around Australia, smacked in the back. I had a perfect imprint of a VB stubby. Uh, Victorian bitter is a type yep. of beer in Australia, by the way. Yep. So um, for any of the international <laughs> listeners. So I have perfect imprint of a VB stu uh, stubby that was thrown at me and the car must have been going 60 or 80 kilometres an hour on the Nullarbor mm. plane when I was running along there. Mm. when I was doing the run around Australia for our Centenary Federation. And it was just some silly fool just thought it would be funny and didn't realise the impact that it would have. Mm. And it knocked the wind out of me. And I, I'll never forget, it Was I felt like I got, I got hit by the full force of the actual car. Mm, and speed. it really, it bruised me. And uh, I was luckily it didn't hit the actual spine, but um, I was bruised for the next month. But um, anyway, I was, I was, I, 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 I pushed on. I, I, of course, I finished that event and I did what I needed to do. But, uh, you know, so I've had things like that happen. I've been hit by um, rear vision um, mirrors that are on the side of the vehicle. Somebody's come too close when they've driven past you. And this is taken into account that I always have all the right precautions in place. Mm. I have a support vehicle behind me if I'm doing solo runs or if they're race situations, they always have a sweeper car and that mm. sort of thing. Um, I'm always, I always stay on the, the left side or the breakdown lane mm. side or the, or the nature strip side of the white line that's on the road. Mm. Um, and I, it's funny, you know, I remember when I was running down through America from top of America to the to right down to the bottom of the Americas, um, I was thinking to myself, that white line is four inches wide. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's in my case, you know, the amount of days I was on the road uh, running on, on, you know, on the side of that line, I was thinking to myself, that four inches is the difference between death or, mm -hmm. or life because the amount of traffic that was just flying past me all the time. 
And I was mesmerized by that white line. Mm. You know, it's, just, it's a sideline, I suppose, to what we're talking about, but it's all about your mental attitude and mm. the steel of the person that you are to realize, okay, that's my safe spot. That's my safety zone. So long as I stay here, I'll, I'll be fine. I mean, it doesn't account for drunk drivers. It doesn't account for bad drivers. It doesn't account for sleepy drivers yeah. or, or whatever. But in my mind, that was how I was rationalizing mm. um, my safety. And, and so, you know, I think if you think positive, you, you get positive outcomes. And I've always thought positive. So tell us a little bit about the runs that you've done that have been for a cause, the social. Oh, well, just, just about outside of the original of Sydney Melbourne race is just about every, yeah, uh, every, every event I've ever done. So even when they're organized races, I will select a charity and I'll rally people to support the run that I'm doing so that we Why? can raise funds for that. So I've raised Why? lots of money for the International Red Cross. Mm -hmm. um, when I was doing the pole to pole run from the North Pole down through mm -hmm. to the South Pole via the Americas, um, we raised money for each of, the uh, each of the Red Cross in each of the countries that mm -hmm. I ran through, which is amazing because in Canada, at the time, the Red Cross specialised in homeless people and supporting homeless people. Mm -hmm. uh, in the United States, it was the standard Red Cross. It was all about um, it was all about health and uh, and emergency emergency support. Mm -hmm. And then, as I came down into Mexico, it was actually the Red Cross that trained doctors and looked after the medical side of things. So Red Cross are number one in all the hospitals down there in Mexico, and then in other places. They got involved in different projects. And I'll never forget the Red Cross in Costa Rica, their number one project was saving leatherback leather turtles. And oh. you think, what's that to do with the Red Cross? But the fact of the matter was that it brought a lot of job opportunities to the, uh, many, many young people and many indigenous people that are uh, there in Costa Rica. And it gave them the opportunity to by protecting the leatherback turtles, tourism trade just went crazy and, wow. and, and consequently, you know, it bettered their lives. And I suppose that's what Red Cross is all about. Mm. But I've raised money for Lifeline. Uh, youth mental health was the, the last run I did, the one, my own race, 1,000 Miles to Light. Mm. That was to raise money for youth mental health. Uh, and and um, as the rest of the world also knows because they've experienced it. We, we had to endure many lockdowns here in Australia mm -hmm. uh, because of the COVID situation. And sadly, I had a very good friend of mine take his life at the start of that whole scenario because he just couldn't deal with mm -hmm. um, the isolation that was inflicted on many people uh, here in this country. And um, it was very, very sad. And I'll, I'll never forget that. And I remember we were told by the authorities we couldn't even attend the, the funeral. And I rallied uh, many runners together and I, and I was determined that we would at least line the streets in a guard of honour with the mm -hmm. 1.5 metre distancing between us. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we did all the way through to his gravesite from the chapel. Wow. Uh, and um, at his funeral and his father was brought to tears over that. The trophy that we, we had for the 1,000 miles to light run was mm -hmm. in, in uh, his honour and was named after him. Uh, and then, of course, as a result, I felt determined to raise money for people that find themselves in a really dark place in time where they feel that the only way out of that situation is to actually uh, take their life. And so mm -hmm. Lifeline and... Um, 
uh, reach out uh, and organizations like that, organizations like that are the ones that I, I've raised money for in recent times. And so so they're always they're always things I feel connected to. Girls Education was the charity I ran for in India, um, uh, raising money for girls education because the mentality in that country was that, that girls don't have to be educated because mm -hmm. the guys will go off to work and the girls just have to look after the house and take care of things at home. Well, we all know the world has changed and it's not like that anymore. And mm -hmm. uh, many women are leaders, uh, leaders in society, leaders in the family. In fact, it's the women that are the first teachers of the children. And so mm -hmm. it's most important anywhere and everywhere in the world that they have literacy skills. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of causes in the world. How do you choose ones that you want to be, you know, that you support? Because, you know, you've you pointed out one um, that well, you know, there, was very personal. There's, there's, but there's so many, and there, mm. I, that's why I try and run for a different cause almost every time. Sometimes mm. uh, uh, it will flow from one into the next, into the next event. Mm. I try and pick as many as I possibly can because I figure they're all worthy in their own way. And I just try and help as many people as I possibly can. And I suppose from that, you can deduce that I'm trying to find purpose in my own life. I'm trying to mm. find meaning in my own life and I'm trying to justify my own life. And so I do that through trying to support as many people as I can in different mm. ways, but always through my running ability or my ability to be able to raise funds in some form or another. Well, there's a bit of a legacy that is left as well when you can help um, people who are in need as well and doing it the way that you're doing. And I, you know, you're also a public speaker, inspiring people. I was once a teacher a hundred years ago, it feels like. Um, and I used to say that if I can just affect one person or one child, then it will all have been worth it. And I wonder whether some of that, you know, when people are motivational speakers as well and, and this, the other work that you do on the social side, it kind of feels like that. Like, you know, at least if you can give back, there's a whole, I know you just uh, justified it, um, you know, by saying, by justifying why you're here and that you're able to, you know, on the planet, that you're able to, to help as many people as possible and that you feel driven to do that. Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. I think uh, teachers especially don't, don't ever get the recognition that they, that they truly deserve because, uh, you take over the parenting um, um, job for, for many, many families. Uh, and even if it's just for a, a short space of time during the course of the day, you know, five or six or, or even eight hours, you are often one of the greatest influences on a person's life. And I still remember the teacher I had that did up my shoelaces when I was five year old. Aww running around running around the, the playground and I'll, I'll never for, I'll never forget Miss O'Dell as long as I live you know and um, she's just the most most beautiful person and little sister Theodore who came and uh, and and put her arm around me when I was suffering from um, uh, from some sadness of a, an auntie that passed away and you know I, I think teachers um, they're more than just somebody that teaches you how to read, how to write, mm. and how and how and how um, to add up, uh, or, or they teach you about life in general by the way that they teach. And and if they are a good teacher, their memories are left with you forever. And you're absolutely right. I think it's it's most important. 
And often it's not until your older age that you start to reflect and realize that, you know, money comes in one hand, goes out of another. Money comes and goes, and you can only have so many cars, so many houses, so many boats, so many trips around the world and all the rest of it before you realize that that's not what makes you happy. Mm. Um, and it's certainly not a legacy for anybody else either. So if you want to leave lessons for other people and you want to teach them how to live and you want to live a good, decent life yourself, then you need to be realize that even though what I do is a solo sport most of the time, um, I feel connected to other people because of the purpose that it presents for me. And so, and, and it's, it's in my, my difficult moments when I'm really in pain and I'm finding it hard to push on that it would be so easy to quit for myself because if I'm just going in an event to win a trophy or a medal or even a prize purse, who cares? Uh, um, that doesn't outweigh pain. But when you know that your pain and suffering is going to alleviate somebody else's pain and suffering on a much bigger scale, then often we're prepared to accept that and, um, uh, and push through it. And so we both win. Mm. The people that you're supporting and you win yourself by having purpose in what you're doing. And that, that's, what, that's what helps me. So, you know, people make a big deal about the money I've raised for other people and the charities and the support I've given to other people. But in giving, you get more back in return than you ever give. So I don't, can't tell you how many times I've said to people who just on the small scale, when you give them something and they go, oh, no, don't, don't. They didn't want to receive. Like, they're not very good receiver. And I'm like you really need to be a good receiver because that gives something because the person who's giving, that's what they get back is that, you know, knowing that you, um, we're not taught enough about that, <laughs> about receiving well, as well as, you know, what that the giver actually gets things back as well. And I think that's an important part of relationships. Absolutely right. Yeah, which is, it's interesting. I have a friend of mine who does quite a bit of running for, um, charities and, and even for particular individuals that they connected through with different organizations and she's often said that you know, when she's doing ultra distances and stuff that that is one of the things that keeps she's not just running for herself she's running for um you know like a disabled child that is her buddy in this um, organization and to her that really drives her forward because she's running for this child and you know, I think oh that's so nice because it it yeah it's, it's more than just you. And as you said, it is such a solo sport running that it can be quite um, inshallah and it's just you and you can just give up a few without having these other uh, focuses. Tell me, um, when you are running those really long distances and because you're running so far, I mean, I've run eight hours. When you <laughs> run for um, a year, <laughs> what, are you, what sort of things are going through your head? Like... I guess you're building yourself up and I, so actually I talked to somebody recently and they do five-day events and she was saying that she the events pull her completely pull her apart and then build her back up again is, is that a similar sort of experience that you would describe that you have yeah absolutely I'll say a couple of things one is you're only as good as your last event so many people go into an event on their reputation Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a silly thing to do because if you don't train, if you don't work hard for every single event that you do, you're going to pay the price, especially in running. 
uh, there's nothing worse and I've done it than getting to the starters line of an event and being ill prepared mm-hmm. uh, and you sure you're going to finish the event but you're going to hurt all the way through so the more that you train the better you train um, the, the the least pain that you're going to go through but having said that the better prepared you are often the harder and faster that you will uh, tackle it so it's, it's one of those things that happens, it's going to happen regardless, but you can accept it if you're better prepared and better trained yeah. for it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. It do, look, for me, it doesn't matter whether it's a 24-hour race, a marathon, an ultra marathon, or a, a multi-day event. Um, for me, uh, they all have their purpose. So one, as you quite rightly said earlier on, I select a cause and then that's my purpose. So I'm raising funds or I'm supporting a cause that is bigger or better than myself. Then secondly, I break the event down into increments. So even that run that went for um, almost a year, so 10 months uh, from the North Pole through the South Pole via the Americas, everybody said to me, how did you do it? Well, what I did was I broke it down into seasons so, you know, winter, spring, summer, autumn, mm-hmm. I broke it down into Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere. I broke it down into months. I broke it down into countries. I broke it down into states. I broke it down into weeks. I broke it down into days. I broke it down into hours. I broke it down into the fact that I was going to have a drink break after, uh, at 10 a.m. And then I was going to have lunch at 1 a.m. And then I was going to have some afternoon tea at 3 p.m. And then I was going to be finished by 5 p.m. And then I was going to get some sleep or massage and, and, and whatever. You know, so it's all about rewarding yourself with little increments. little say. Yeah, just little, tiny increments. Yeah, little rewards along the way, or little mm. goals along the way. Um, and then the, the other thing is, why people get bored on a uh, in a long distance event or on a treadmill is because they're worried all the time about what else they should be doing or what else they could mm. be doing. Mm-hmm. I class myself as a professional athlete because that's my job. So when I start the event, I, I click on and I say, okay, I'm here to run. I clock on in the morning at 5 a.m. and I clock off in the afternoon at 5 p.m. So Mm -hmm. that 12-hour day is my job. Mm -hmm. And then I will eat, sleep and rest and I'll get back up again and I'll go to work again. The only difference is that on a big multi-day event, event, there is no days off in between and it's Mm -hmm. continuous all the way through. But the bottom line is it's just job. It's just a work. And no matter how long something is, it will always come to an end eventually. And I proved that with the pole to pole run because everybody said to me, how can you possibly go 20,000 kilometers? How does it, don't you go mad? And I said, the world's not that big. And sooner (laughs) or later, if I just keep putting one foot in front of the other, I'm gonna get to the other end. And that's all there is to it. And if you tackle everything in life the same way, and, and instead of being overawed by the enormity of it all, just say, I'm going to break it down into increments. I'm going to take it one bite at a time. I'm going to chew up this elephant, spit him out the other side, but I'm going to, I'm going to digest him. I'm going to eat an elephant. I'm going to take on this enormous task 
and I'm going to achieve it one bite at a time, one step at a time. Uh, and if I don't give up and I keep putting one foot in front of the other, eventually I can get to anywhere. Of course. I love that. I, it just made me think I was in the, the south of, um, and Port Davies in the south of Tasmania, and they have a tiny little bird which is endangered. It flies every year. One of the reasons it's endangered is it flies all the way to the other side of the world, you know, those 20,000 kilometres, and it's like this little, this yeah. little tiny, what's it called, an orange bellied parrot i think i think that's what it is okay okay <laughs> it's tiny well it's it's funny you say that because when i was in when i was in israel they were saying that uh there at a certain time of the year all the migratory birds from south africa come through or come through there on their way to the northern hemisphere and when i was up in long Yibian, which is the northernmost point of uh island of norway Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the point where everybody assembles to be flown from there by the Russians, taken from there by the Russians on into the polar cap uh, to their base that they've set up there. When I was there, they said in summer, when all when the snow is melted and and this this lake of ice, this passage of ice is actually flowing, the mig they get more than a million migratory different types of migratory mm -hmm. birds there. Wow. That's so um, yeah, it's incredible, and so yeah, it's just um, birds do it, animals do yeah. it. You know, they can fly like, those. Wait, we we are too. <laughs> we're yeah. we're um we're animals as well. Um, you were saying it's like a job for you. What do you suggest? And I was I was interested because you mentioned that a lot of us think, how do I fit in my run? Because I've got all these other things I should do. Obviously, when you're prioritizing and it's an event for you. Um, that's a bit different. How do you prior? How do you suggest perhaps for people who's running is not their job? How yeah. do they prioritize it? Well, you need to be organized. Mm -hmm. You find that most people that can't do this sort of thing often put their socks where their underpants should be and their singlets where their shirts are or their trousers, etc. Et so I want to say to everybody, get organized. Get organized. Okay. <laughs> Set an it's alarm. Funny. Get yourself I had a, that conversation a smart, recently with someone in my life. <laughs> get yourself a smartwatch or something where you can time. There's only 24 hours in a day, so plan your plan. Planning is the key to success. Planning is the key to everything. So work out. Okay, if I'm at work for eight hours of the day, then I need a certain amount of time to travel as well to and from that job. I need a certain amount of time for relaxation and I need a certain amount of time for deep recovery sleep. Mm. I mean, good sleep. If I've got children and a family, then I need to spend some time with a family or whatever. Mm. So you, you squeeze in your training around a certain time and you fit it in to suit your family. When my children were very young uh, and I was first married, um, I remember I used to run the incredibly early hours of the morning so 4 a.m to oh, wow. 6 or 7 a.m so that I didn't interfere with my family's life my wife's life or my children's life because mm -hmm. I wanted to be there for my children now that was my sacrifice but I wanted to do the running so that was that's what I did mm -hmm. so everything in life is about give and take so if you want something to happen you have to give up something else in my case, it was that little bit of extra sleep. But once I got used to it, that was fine. Mm. So it's a matter of just getting used to it and, um, and working out, okay, how many hours good sleep do I really need? 
Um, how many hours do I need for work? How many hours do I need for travel? How many hours do I need for relaxation and recovery and uh, uh, meditation and um, my own personal time away from all of this when it's without the hurt as well? Mm -hmm. uh, and then weigh it all up and then you work back from there. And then of course, if you have a race, say the race is on the 20th of a certain month, um, uh, and you're on the 20th of two months before that, well, you know that you've got eight weeks to work towards incrementally towards that distance or that date or that time. So you build your training to suit that pattern from where you are in this point in time to where you need to be, mm. both speed-wise and time-wise and distance-wise. And so you work towards those goals. So everything is about planning to the nth degree. And the more you plan, the better that you'll get. But also you have to know and understand that things will always go wrong with plans and that's where resilience comes into it all. And, you know, and I say this because so many of my friends, if they miss a training day, a running day, mm -hmm. it's like the end of the world. And they start thinking so negatively about everything yeah. that they put themselves off and they do themselves in and they start getting sick because they're worried too much and they're wearing, and you've just got to dust yourself up. Say, okay, life happens. Some days you sleep in, some days the kids need you, some days things go wrong. Just have to accept that. And the past is the past. Once that day is gone and that mistake is made, forget about it, wipe it start a clean slate this is why football teams many teams that have two two halves or four quarters in their game uh, they can bounce back in the last quarter they can bounce back in the second half because they completely wipe the mistakes of the first half and they forget about it instead of dwelling on that mistake that they made the mistakes they made to that point and they treat it like a whole new game from that new point from that halfway point or the last quarter onwards and by doing that and by having the right approach it's amazing how you can lift yourself and you can do well like amnesia the one thing i did think about was um that honoring of your calendar which is sort of what you were talking about a minute ago because a lot of people that i know will put things in their calendar but because it's a solo sport because we're not elite athletes necessarily and then it's raining and I was supposed to go out and do a 5K. I don't have any other excuse. This is not me because I'm I'm good at this stuff. But some people, I know, I've heard, this is a story about someone else. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe occasionally <laughs> if it's really horrible weather, who knows? But um, there's that honouring of your calendar as well. I have, um, which I think is important that when you do, you know, you were saying life happens and so you don't want to go. Um, or you, sorry, you can't go because the kids need, they're prioritizing. Maybe that's better. Like when these things happen in your life and you prioritize to, you know, for the kids or something else happens where you, that does really need your attention. That's a bit different from just not getting up or rolling over when the alarm goes off when you were due to have a six o'clock run or a four o'clock, like you said. Um, when we're not elite athletes, it's much easier to just roll over. But if you want that result in the end, like the event you're training for or whatever, it's actually important to honour your calendar. That was what yeah. I was. Um, Absolutely. That long that's why, is about. <laughs> that's why you have to you have to just reflect on the fact that if you do not train, you'll still do the event, but it's going to be harder and it's going to be more difficult for you. So easier to get out there in training. Uh, um, I'll never forget my guide 
Eric Phillips, who's from Tasmania and a wonderful man, an incredible, uh, an incredible person in his own right, and uh, but but very strong-headed and difficult, and completely an alpha male and difficult to get on with, but an amazing uh, person because of his his achievements. I'll never forget. He said to me one time when I was in the North Pole, he said, "Pat, the storm is always worse from inside the tent." Ah. It's like you hear the wind blowing outside, you hear the rain falling down on the roof, and it's easy to just roll over and stay in bed. Uh, but if you're disciplined and you're well planned, you don't, you just do it automatically. You get out of bed, you just get on with it and just go, okay, well, I'm going to get wet tomorrow. I'm going to get wet. So I'll get wet, but I'll get the job done. Yeah. Uh, and it's amazing once you get out there and, okay, you're wet and it's through. But you think to yourself, I feel much stronger in the mind and you're able to overcome things because little obstacles like that don't affect you. And I always say to people, well, what are you going to do if you go into a race and it starts to storm during the course of the race? Are you going to, just going to quit then or are you going to pull up then? I mean, so why not acclimatise? Why not get used to it now and just have some strength in your mind that you can overcome anything? And once again, another great mentor for me, Tony Rafferty, who was a great ultra runner back in the day uh, when I first started back in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. Tony Rafferty said to me, uh, he was famous for racing across Australia and launching the first Nutrigrain commercial. Uh, and, um, uh, and, uh, and, and Tony said to me, he said, Pat, we can't change the weather. We can't change the weather. We have to learn to accept the things that we cannot change and just let the wind blow through you, let the rain fall mm -hmm. on you, let the sun shine over you mm -hmm. and through you if need be, but just keep pressing on, just keep pushing on regardless. And when you get yourself into that state of mind, mm. the wind doesn't seem as bad as it is. <laughs> How many runners always tell you, oh, I ran a bad time because I had a headwind or this or that. <laughs> now, I've run in races where the winds have been 100 kilometres now yeah, and that literally oh. knocked me to the ground. And I've, I've got, you know, I've had all, all um, gravel rash and everything mm. all over my body. But, but the bottom line is you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you just get on with it because you can't do anything about the wind. So why worry about it? Just yeah. finish what you've started. Because if you're running a slow time, everybody else will run a slow time as well. That's true. So, and they've got to deal with the same, the same obstacles that you do. So just get on with it. I actually love running in storms. It feels very electric. Yeah. There's that, just that energy in the <laughs> Some people yeah. are like, oh, there's thunder and lightning. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I know. <laughs> it's like a kid playing in a puddle. You know, exactly. little, little yeah. children are more than happy to put on a, have a raincoat put on them a mm. pair of galoshes or a pair a pair of gum boots and jump and play in puddles jump around in the puddle they they get excited by it and 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 it's only when parents tell them oh you're going to catch a cold you're going to get sick oh you can't do that it's too cold out here it's wet or whatever it is for the parent but for the kid they're having <laughs> like, a great time so if we we think more like children behave more like children it's amazing mm. what we can achieve when oh, we, and, and often just in that same vein mm. of thought you know often people would tell me something's impossible but to a child that hasn't experienced the world yet mm. nothing's impossible because they haven't they haven't fallen over yet they haven't been knocked back yet they haven't 
had their mishaps mm. yet. And so mm. they only know to move forward. Yeah. And if we, if so, if we behave a bit more like children in that mindset, it's amazing what we can achieve. And you, you know, you have to plan for problems, but you shouldn't dwell on them because a lot of the times they may never happen. And, and it's your own self that stops you from doing things because of your lack of confidence rather than your determination. How long do you think you'll run for, Pat? Till the day I die. Um, I, I, and I'm not the only runner that thinks like that. Um, many of my, my friends, um, I know um, uh, the, the runners from America stated the same thing to me as well. They said, you know, the, the thing is, what's this life about anyway? What do we want to do? I don't want to be sitting around in a nursing home having somebody feed me or somebody bring the newspaper mm -hmm. to me and, or turn the TV on for me to watch or the, open the computer screen for me. I want to, I want to keep doing things. I don't, you know, I, I spent the last two weeks learning how to surf because it was something I always wanted to do. You know, I've jumped Are out you of near the water. <laughs> well, yeah, luckily I do. But um, I've jumped out of airplanes. Uh, you know, I, 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 I was learning to fly a plane. You know, I just see things as opportunities. And mm. until the day I die, I'm just going to keep on doing it stuff. Mm. Uh, um, stuff that's a challenge. I want to learn more languages. I want to learn other things. I want to travel to more places. I haven't been to Cuba yet. I still want to run the length of Cuba uh, from um, Guantanamo Bay through to Havana at least and organize oh, wow. a race to do Cuba. I definitely want to go to Cuba. I definitely want to do Russia. And um, there's so many other of the, of the um, um, Eastern Bloc states that I want to run through that I haven't done yet. And is, I, I want to go to those places. Is there something about exploring a place? Because we've talked to a couple of people I've talked to about, and I've done this myself, I've run around the world as well, not like you, but <laughs> as a tourist, like that ex, um, experiencing a place when you yeah. run through it. Uh, well, absolutely. I'll never forget. I was over in Japan to do um, the Lake Saroma, which is up in Hokkaido, up on the northernmost mm -hmm. island, to do the 100-kilometre World Championships. And I was sponsored by a Japanese company, so I wasn't part of the Australian team. I was just a solo person that went over to, to mm -hmm. compete in that. Which, and I was very happy to do so because I was looked after like a king and it was fantastic. Yeah. But I'll never forget when I first arrived in Tokyo, I said, where can you run around here? And they said, oh, you have to run around the Prince's Palace. It's five kilometres around there, but that's where everybody runs. And they were the days when there was a real lot of pollution around uh, Tokyo City. Okay. And it was difficult to get around. Traffic was horrendous yeah. and all the rest of it. So I found myself running around there. And there were so many like-minded people because this park attracted everybody and it was beautiful and there was, you know, like it was just a beautiful place to be. And that's one of the things that running does. It opens up these opportunities for you with like-minded people. Mm -hmm. You explore places, you go to parks and you go to mountains and you go to beaches and you go to areas where you, all you have to do is just put one foot in front of the other. You can wear sandals, you can wear, you can wear running shoes, you can go bare feet if you want to, but you can do it, you know, you can wear boots. But the, the point of the matter is you're exploring places, you're seeing new places, you're meeting like-minded people and and that's what life's all about, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's about lifting up a rock and seeing what's underneath it, yeah. you know. 
going to the top of the mountain just to see what's on the other side. Uh, to me, you know, it's, I, the, you know, that's why I won't give up because there's just so many places left in the world to see. You know, I did a, I did a race in um, Uganda for the Love Mercy Foundation, which is uh, seed programs for women over there and helps them to uh, get a, a bundle of 30 kilograms worth of seeds. They plant mm -hmm. the seeds. They get taught how to, how to raise the crop, uh, how to raise and sell the crop. Uh, and then and then use that the selling of those seeds to plant some more seeds, but also to use it to pay for their children's education, put food on the table, a roof over yeah, their heads, yeah. and all sorts of things. Uh, um, right. And that run was 500 kilometres from Entebbe to a place called Lira, uh, and I'd never been to the South African nations to that point, and it was fantastic to see Uganda and to meet those people and to do that sort of stuff. I wouldn't do that as a motor mechanic. I wouldn't do that as an accountant. I wouldn't do that as a as a normal nine to five job. Yeah. But as as this guy that just wants to run places and doesn't care particularly about making a lot of money, it's 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 an opportunity for me. And and I think to myself, what would you spend the money on anyway? You only spend the money on True. experiences anyway. So why not? Yeah, that that's actually how we live our life a little bit. Yeah. Um, it kind of brings me on to a question that I ask a lot of people, and that is, how do you think life's in, uh, your life has improved because of running? So if you hadn't had running, if you hadn't seen Cliffy running down to, uh, to <laughs> Melbourne <laughs> on his way to Melbourne, what would you, how would your life have turned out, do you think? What would you be missing uh, out no, on? No, nowhere near what, nowhere near how incredible it has been like like i said i've had i've met kings and queens i've met um uh prime ministers and presidents i've met i've met so many amazing people around the world uh, i've met ordinary people as well you know common folk i've met the poorest of poor uh um uh, you know that would give you the shirt off their back i've i've slept in tents i've slept on the ground i've slept on just outdoors on floors where i needed to i never would have done that uh if i stayed as a motor mechanic i'd i you know i you know i might be good at fixing a car but that would be as far as it would go you know and i might have a lot of money I might, you know, by this stage, I might own my own garage. I might own mm. 10 of my own garages. I might own 50 Corvette Stingray cars <laughs> and a Ferrari as well. Who knows? <laughs> but, but, but once again, you know, where would I drive them and what would I do? And, and you, you know, it, the running has just opened up so many opportunities mm. for me in public speaking, speaking mm. about my experiences. I've spoken to huge audiences and small audiences. Mm. I've changed people's lives and made them cry through the things that I've experienced and I've mm. made them happy. Mm. Uh, you know, to have an effect on another human being is quite a gift and uh, especially a positive effect. I've inspired mm. people, uh, mm. you know, and I've let people down as well. I'm not perfect, but... Um, uh, you know, and sometimes you've got, it, it is quite a selfish thing to be as well. And I suppose in, in solo sports that happens as well, because there's sometimes when you just got to say to the kids, look, just, I've got to, I've got to train. I've got to do this. You know, I've got to jump on the treadmill or I have to go overseas or I've got to do this event. Yeah. Or you've got to say to other people, I just have to do this. 
because you have to be true to yourself as well. Only then can we truly grow, you know, you have to be who you are. And if people don't accept you for who you are, then they're the wrong people to be with That's anyway. True. You don't need them around you. <laughs> what tips would you give a beginner runner, Pat? Number one, um, plan, have a goal to aim for. You know, pick a race, a run anywhere. It could be a park run, so a 5K park run. Mm -hmm could be, um, I love running to destinations. And uh, yeah. as, you, as you quite rightly said, Michelle, you know, you're going to run Bruny Island. Bruny Island is a magnificent place mm -hmm. to run. Uh, Flinders Island has a regular race over there. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they run from one end of the island through to the other. Flinders Island is another place I never would have experienced so, if I didn't take up running. Have you done uh, King um, Island? Does no, I haven't been to King Island. Is that's where I, that's there? Let me that's where I grew up. <laughs> That's I want right. to go to King Island because I've heard they've got great cheese there. Yeah, <laughs> Janos, uh, you know, the, the elite runner, the other ultra runner. Janos Kuris. I'm pretty sure he's done the King Island one before. He probably has. I think he yeah, has, he like has. years ago when it started. Anyway, yeah, continue. Has. So your tips are find a race that kind of something that inspires. Find a race. So once, yeah. yeah, exactly. Once you've got a goal to aim for, then it's easier to work from that destination or that time backwards. Mm. So you work back in increments. And that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. That's what gets you out there and training. See, if I don't have something to aim for, it's very hard to train. Yeah. But if I've got an event, even if it's a year away, it doesn't matter. There's only 365 days in a year. Yeah. And I know that if I, I'm here as far as my fitness level is concerned, and when I run in a race, I have to be at this level. So what are the increments in between that I need to improve on on a daily basis mm. to get to that point then? And so each day over 365 days towards that, over the course of that year, I will do something to that. Mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's only eight weeks away or 12 weeks away, it's the same philosophy. Cut it up. With everything. Yeah, cut mm -hmm. it, break it up into bite-sized mm -hmm. pieces around time and distance, yeah. you know, and then, you run, and then you run accordingly to suit that. So you're just improving by small increments. It's very, very easy to improve by a small amount than to try and make a, a huge leap. Yeah. If you try and make a huge leap, you often okay. you often injure yourself and then you quit or you go backwards or you get so tired or so fatigued by it and it seems so impossible that you just give up on it. But if you're only improving by small um, um, increments each time, um, it's easily done. And then you look back over the course of a week, a month or a year and you think to yourself, that's where I was, this is where I am now. And keep a journal as well. That's where I was. This is where I am now. Wow. Look I'm glad me. I'm the person <laughs> I am today, not that person a year ago. That's awesome. Well, Pat, I don't want to close this off, but I have somewhere I've got to get to in a minute. But, um, I talk too much, Michelle. No, no, not at all. Um, sometimes we have them, they go um, longer. And normally I would just keep talking and I'll probably actually message you and say, can we do a part two? <laughs> Sure, I think no there's problem. heaps more that, that we need to talk about. Um, but I do have somewhere to get to because <laughs> we didn't quite make it uh, when we were going to start. But anyway, that's all. It's been amazing. As I said, um, I'm inspired by everything that you've done. Um, I was really excited when a mutual friend of ours uh, recommended that um, I reach out to you and see that you would have a chat. I'm very grateful that you accepted. And, you know, everything that you've said has... I think is going to help a lot of people that listen to the podcast as well and inspire them to further their running or get started running if they haven't. So 
I so appreciate your time because I know how precious time is these days. And I hope that you'll come back on the podcast in the near future as well. Yeah, I'd be very happy to, Michelle. And it's been a pleasure to speak to you and, and um, to hopefully inspire some of your listeners. And if they need any more information from me, they can simply go to patfarmer.com or 1000 Miles to Light and see what we've, we've got brewing next. Excellent. Um, I'll put those links as well on your um, your post. So Fantastic. I'll say goodbye to you just here, but don't completely go because I'll say goodbye to you off the recording as well. So thank you, Pat. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast. I'd love to talk to you about your running journey. So send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. For a bunch of resources on mindful running that will help you get and stay mentally and physically fit, head over to the website fitmindfitbody.co and I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running. I'll see you soon. Bye.